invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, and if you're just joining us this morning, uh, we're in the midst of a series uh, through the book of Genesis, so this text is not randomly chosen, but is the next one in line, and I'm going to go ahead and read the entire chapter. Holy Scripture says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roi, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, this word is indeed for our good for our instruction, for the renewing of our mind. And Father, I pray that you would take this word and direct us, redirect us, encourage us, confront us, transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we are reading through the Bible, there are times when we discover that the Lord is directing his gracious attention toward people that we don't expect 
to be the recipients of such attention. We're not surprised when the Lord directs His merciful gaze upon people like Abram with whom He has entered into covenant. We are not surprised when the Lord directs His faithful presence toward people like Enoch and Noah who walk obediently with God. Nor are we surprised when the Lord directs His righteous indignation, His wrathful attention to people who are steeped in rebellion. But when the Lord directs His compassionate eye to an outsider, it may get our attention. We may be surprised when the Lord demonstrates grace and mercy to the people of Nineveh, that great and wicked city. We may may be caught off guard when the Lord chooses to sit down and eat with the tax collectors and other obvious sinners. As we have been tracking along with the unfolding drama of Genesis, we are not expecting the Lord's attentive care to be focused on Hagar, a woman unknown to us prior to Genesis chapter 16. And yet, the storyline slows down in the middle of this chapter to highlight the angel of the Lord's interaction with this afflicted woman. The angel of the Lord represents the Lord's very own presence and speech and the divine presence and speech is focused on Hagar in chapter 16. Let's begin by asking why Hagar is an unexpected recipient of the Lord's gracious attention. When I refer to Hagar as an unexpected recipient of the Lord's gracious attention, I mean unexpected from our perspective. First, Hagar is an outsider to the central storyline. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord promised to bring forth a special descendant of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. With that background in mind, we have kept our minds on the seed line, the special line of descendants from which the Messiah would eventually come. This led us through the Genesis chapter 5 genealogy of Adam through Seth, all the way down to Noah, and then we followed the Genesis 11 genealogy of Noah's son Shem, all the way down to Abram, who is the central human character in Genesis chapters 12 through 25. The Lord promised to make of Abram a great nation, Genesis 12, 2, and to make Abram's offspring as numerous as the dust of the earth, Genesis 13, 16. The problem, of course, is that Abram's wife Sarai is barren, Genesis 11.30, and Abram does not yet have any children of his own. But the Lord promised Abram in Genesis 15.4, your very own son shall be your heir. This storyline is evidently in view at the beginning of chapter 16, isn't it? Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. By the end of the chapter, it seems like we might possibly finally have a resolution to Abram's childlessness. And Hagar bore Abram a son, verse 15. Is Ishmael the promised son who will inherit the promises that God made to Abram? Chapter 16 itself does not explicitly answer this question. But the early readers of the book of Genesis would have already known the answer, and we're going to learn the answer in Genesis chapter 17, 
that Ishmael is not the promised son. Ishmael is not the seed son that will lead to Messiah. Ishmael does not extend that special line of descendants who represent God's promise to bring forth a serpent crusher. Therefore, Hagar remains an outsider to the central storyline. Second, Hagar is an Egyptian, verse 1, which makes her an ethnic outsider. The Egyptians are descendants of Noah's son Ham, Genesis 10.6. Ham is absent from the blessing that Noah pronounced on his other two sons, Shem and Japheth, in chapter 9. Do you remember Abram's problematic excursion to Egypt in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20? That was punctuated by the Lord bringing affliction upon Pharaoh and his house. In Genesis chapter 15, the Lord told Abram that his descendants would eventually, in verse 13 of chapter 15, be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And afterward, the Lord would bring judgment upon that nation. Although the name of that nation is not identified in chapter 15, the early readers of Genesis would have understood that that nation was none other than Egypt as the last quarter of the book of Genesis and the early chapters of the book of Exodus will make clear. We aren't expecting the Lord to speak kindly to an Egyptian. Third, Hagar is a bondservant, verse 1. Of course, there's nothing wrong with being a bondservant or being on the low end of the socioeconomic spectrum, but when in the first 15 chapters of the book of Genesis has Scripture recounted a conversation between the Lord and a bondservant? Fourth, Hagar is a woman, verse 1. Both men and women are image bearers of God and as such have equal dignity and worth in God's sight. But as we've already learned, God designed men to take the lead, and so it's not surprising that God is most regularly interacting with men in the Bible. In fact, Scripture has not recounted a conversation between the Lord and a woman since Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord interacted directly with Adam and Eve in chapter 1. He blessed them told them to be fruitful and multiply. And then after Adam and Eve fell into sin, the Lord spoke directly to Eve in chapter 3, verses 13 and 16. But since Genesis 3, the Lord has only spoken with Cain, chapter 4, with Noah, chapters 6 through 9, with Noah and Noah's sons in chapter 9, and with Abram in chapters 12, 13, and 15. So we're not expecting substantial dialogue between the Lord and a woman. Fifth, Hagar is roped into a morally compromising relationship that results in stressful domestic conflict. The barren Sarai devises a plan to obtain offspring, namely for Abram to have a child through her maidservant Hagar. A plan like this is a fine way to make a bad situation worse. The statement, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, strikes a sobering and disapproving note. Does it sound familiar? We remember that phrase from Genesis chapter 3 when the Lord confronted Adam because you have listened to the voice of your wife, Genesis 3.17. 
Once Abram agrees to her plan, Sarai proceeds to give Hagar to Abram. Look at verse 3. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Let's just say that it is a bad idea for a wife to give her husband another woman to be his wife. The plausible claim that it was customary in ancient times for a wife to give to her husband a maidservant for the purpose of multiplying children doesn't make it okay. God's standard is monogamy, Genesis 2.24, and Sarai's plan is a deviation from that standard. But there is irony. In chapter 12, Abram, Sarai's husband, essentially gave Sarai to the Egyptian pharaoh to be Pharaoh's wife. Do you remember that? Abram did it to protect himself from perceived danger. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, gives her Egyptian maidservant to be Abram's wife. Sarai did it in hopes of obtaining children for herself by means of Hagar. Be encouraged. God really does work through messed up people in order to accomplish his holy purposes. Although Hagar is not innocent in the matter, nevertheless, greater guilt falls to her earthly masters, Abram and Sarai, for pursuing this plan. And the plan seems to work, doesn't it? Hagar actually conceives, verse 4. But once Hagar becomes aware that she is pregnant, she gets proud, verse 4. Now the pregnant servant Hagar looks with contempt upon her barren mistress, Sarai. This angers Sarai, verse 5. Sarai then takes up her anger with Abram and expresses a desire for the Lord to intervene. Abram tells Sarai that she is free to do with Hagar as she pleases. And finally, Sarai deals harshly with Hagar and this prompts Hagar to flee. Given this relational meltdown set in the context of moral compromise, where will the Lord focus his attention? Upon Abram, that patriarch with whom he has been dealing since Genesis chapter 12? Upon Sarai, Abram's wife? Or upon Hagar, the afflicted outsider, caught in the middle, fleeing from the covenant family? Well, the Lord ministers to Hagar in her affliction, verses 7 through 12. Hagar flees from the presence of Sarai, but there is one who finds her. The angel of the Lord found her, verse 7. Hagar rightly understands that the Lord is the one speaking to her in the subsequent verses, as indicated in verse 13. When the angel of the Lord speaks, the Lord speaks. The Lord's ministry to Hagar begins by finding her and drawing near to her and asking a question. Verse 8, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Isn't that a great question? Of course, the angel of the Lord knows all about Hagar's comings and goings, but the Lord is drawing Hagar into conversation. At the same time, the fact that the Lord asks Hagar a question suggests that Hagar 
isn't in the right place or she's headed to the wrong place. When does the Lord ask questions in the book of Genesis? After Adam hid from the Lord's presence, the Lord asked him, where are you? Genesis 3, 9. In the same context, he asked Eve, what is this you have done? Genesis 3, 13. In the next chapter, when Cain was in the process of self-destructing, the Lord asked him, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Genesis 4, 6. So here, where have you come from and where are you going is designed to lead Hagar to repentance. Hagar answers, I am fleeing from my mistress, in verse 8, and then comes the command to repentance. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Verse 9. The Lord does not give approval of the morally suspect actions that reside in the background, but he does make it clear that the maidservant Hagar belongs with her earthly masters. The command that Hagar submit to Sarai is very significant. The Hebrew word translated submit in verse 9 is the same Hebrew word translated dealt harshly in verse 6. You see, after Hagar became proud because she was pregnant and looked down on Sarai, Sarai responded by afflicting Hagar, by dealing harshly with her, by putting her down. Hagar is being instructed here in verse 9 to humble herself, put herself down in a posture of humility and willingly place herself under Sarai's authority. If Hagar had been able to maintain an attitude of humble service towards Sarai all along, she wouldn't have gotten harsh treatment from Sarai in the first place. Hagar, go back to your appointed place and in that appointed place walk with humility. Put away pride and self-exalting thoughts and esteem and honor your mistress. Now, in order for Hagar to return to Sarai, she's going to have to swallow her pride. She will be helped to swallow her pride if she knows that the sovereign Lord cares for her. And she may already be figuring out that the Lord cares for her since the angel of the Lord found her and questioned her and counseled her. But the Lord's care for Hagar shifts into high gear in verses 10 through 12. In verse 10, the Lord makes a stunning promise. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. This is a stunning and unexpected promise because the promise of innumerable offspring is the very promise that the Lord had made to Abram in chapters 13 and 15. The promise that the Lord made to Abram concerned the offspring that would come about through the promised seed. Now, outside and apart from that central storyline, the Lord promises that another group of offspring will also be innumerable. Hagar is the recipient of a great promise. Children and children's children are a gift from the Lord, and Hagar finds herself in the stream of the Lord's blessing. In verse 9, 
the angel of the Lord had focused on Hagar's relationship with Sarai. In verse 10, the angel of the Lord focused on Hagar's innumerable offspring. Now in verses 11 and 12, the angel of the Lord focuses on Hagar's child, the child in her womb. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. The the angel of the Lord reveals his knowledge not only of the fact that Hagar is with child, but also of the fact that the child within her is a boy. The angel of the Lord also reveals his knowledge of the boy's future. The boy will become a wild donkey of a man, which commentators say points to the fact that Ishmael will be a a wilderness wanderer, a desert nomad. Further, Ishmael will be at odds with everyone. What is true of Ishmael will presumably also be true of his Ishmaelite descendants. Verse 12 suggests that though Ishmael is not destined for sainthood, his life would surely be consequential. But looking at verses 11 and 12, we want to focus our attention on the end of verse 11, where the angel of the Lord asserts his authority over the boy by telling Hagar what she shall name him. The name Ishmael means God hears. And this name is loaded with significance. Hagar was experiencing affliction because Sarai was dealing harshly with her. Does anyone care? Does anyone take notice? Yes, there is one who does. The irony here is remarkable. Genesis chapter 15 had foretold that Abram's descendants in the future would be afflicted because a nation, later revealed to be Egypt, would deal harshly with Abram's descendants. Fast forward to the days of fulfillment in Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus 2.23. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. But long before that ever happened, a maidservant from Egypt named Hagar was suffering affliction under Sarai's heavy hand, and the Lord heard Hagar's affliction. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Yes, the Lord hears the groaning of his covenant people, but the Lord also listens to the affliction of outsiders. The story of Hagar in the house of Sarai previews the story of Israel in the land of Egypt. The Lord has heard Hagar's affliction, has spoken promises concerning her offspring, and has directed her on the path of repentance and humility. How did she receive the Lord's words to her? In verse 13, Hagar demonstrates humble receptivity to the Lord's words. After hearing the Lord speak to her in verses 8 to 12, Hagar recognizes the fact that it was indeed the Lord who spoke to her. 
It cannot be said of Hagar that the Lord drew near to her, but she knew it not. She did know. She understood. And she reinforced what she had rightly discerned by calling the Lord by a new name. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen Him who looks after me. Hagar calls Yahweh El Roi. El means God. Roi means seeing. Yahweh is El Roi, the God who sees. But Hagar's confession that Yahweh is the God who sees is not a theoretical formulation about the omniscience of the God who sees everything. How many people might affirm the belief that God sees everything in general and yet be unaware that the God who sees everything sees me, takes notice of me, has a personal interest in me, cares for me, is calling me to repent of sin and trust his promise. Hagar is not a systematic theologian who thought it would be nice to coin a new term. Instead, she is responding to the infinite personal God who has made himself known to her. She saw the one who saw her. She heard the one who had listened to her affliction. She met the one who cared about her. She recognized him as the God who sees. And this name that Hagar ascribed to Yahweh was a name that stuck, for it was memorialized in the name of the well in that place, as verse 14 indicates. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roi, which means the well of the living one who sees me. The other action that shows Hagar's humble receptivity to the Lord's words is that she did, in fact, return to Abram and Sarai, as the end of the chapter makes clear. When Cain was confronted by the word of the Lord in Genesis chapter 4, he doubled down and went deeper into his sin. When Hagar is confronted by the word of the Lord in chapter 16, she lets the Lord's words redirect her life. She returned home, and there she gave birth to Ishmael, as the end of chapter 16 indicates. How shall we apply this wonderful passage about the Lord's kind dealings with Hagar this way? Don't be surprised when the Lord directs his gracious attention to an unexpected person. And even more to the point, take to heart this truth. The unexpected person that the Lord directs his gracious attention to just might be you. Perhaps you can relate to Hagar. You see yourself as an outsider. Maybe others see you that way too. You have two or three outsider strikes against you. And you seem to be on the peripheral of the important storyline that everyone else is excited about. For one reason or another, you have a morally scandalous past, or maybe you're in the middle of it right now. You have some painfully complicated relationships, maybe with your family, maybe with the church. You have a measure of harsh treatment coming your way, deserved or undeserved, and you are afflicted, fleeing from the apparent source of your problem seems like an attractive option if you haven't already done it. 
But besides all that, there is the very real sin problem that you have. We all have this problem. Hagar had it. That's why she was inflated with pride in verse 4. Sarai had it. That's why she, she thought up this brilliant idea to give her maidservant as a second wife to her husband. Abram had it. That's why he submitted to Sarai's plan. Ishmael would have it. That's why he wouldn't be known as a peacemaker. And you have a very real sin problem too. Scripture says that all of us have lost our way. All of us have turned aside. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us fail in various ways to honor and obey the Lord. Scripture describes all of us with these words, the way of peace they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes, Romans 3, 17 and 18. The beautiful truth of God's storyline is that he makes room for all kinds of people. God never intended that special line of descendants to have a corner on all the grace. In fact, God intended that special line of descendants to be a vehicle for bringing his grace to all the world. God's plan was that in Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, Genesis 12, 3. The Lord proclaims his life-giving words to all kinds of people. In one moment, he proclaims his words to Abram, chapter 15. And in another moment, he proclaims his words to Hagar, chapter 16. In one moment, he proclaims his words to a prominent religious teacher in Israel, John chapter 3. And in another moment, he proclaims his life-giving words to a Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. Jesus, the good shepherd, came down to, came to lay down his life for his sheep. Not only sheep from the lost house of Israel, but also sheep from the lost Gentile world. Jesus, who died on the cross for the sins of his people, preaches peace to those who are far off, and he preaches peace to those who are near. Ephesians 2.17. Those afar off, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, the Egyptians, the Hagars of this world are included within the scope of God's gracious attention. All of this is well and good, but it must not remain at the theoretical level. Do you know that he sees you? Do you know that He knows where you have come from and where you are going? Nothing escapes His notice. And He is calling you to repentance. Do you know that He bore your sins in His body on the tree? Do you know that you can trust Him to lead you into a future that is far better than any future you would have without Him? I cannot tell you whether your future includes innumerable offspring. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I can tell you that everyone who trusts in the name of the Lord will never be put to shame, Romans 10:11. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him, Romans 10, 12. Friends, See El Roi, the God who sees you.
and call upon his blessed name. Let's pray. Father, I pray that everyone within the sound of this message would be overwhelmed that you are the God who sees, the God who cares, the God who provides, the God who saves. In the Savior's name we pray, amen.